Good morning. We have gathered to worship the living God. Jane, thank you. It's good to be back together and have folks. Our call to worship this morning, I've taken a portion from the book of Isaiah, the prophet, and have set that up responsively. It's a call to look into God's new day. The God of grace who never changes is leading us day by day into great and new things. So let us read responsively, um, beginning in Isaiah chapter 43, verse uh, 18 through 21. And uh, well, I'm going to do this right now. Cynthia, it looks to me like the um, back monitor is not on. So perfect. This will take a click or two. It's better to do these things at the beginning. Here we go. All right. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Even now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Let us stand and sing to God's glory. It's hymn number 601. Uh, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Amen, and thank you. Have a seat if you would. 
I'm always thankful for the opportunity to welcome those of you who've joined us on site. We gather here on a beautiful Michigan fall day to give praise and honor to, to our God. Glad to share together with one voice. Glad to see two folks back from our Ireland mission team. Uh, arrived last night and here we go together. Um, also, for those who, by way of live stream or recording, uh, join us in this way. We share this across even time and space now. It's kind of a fascinating thing to me. So we've gathered for the day uh, after worship. Uh, there's a time of coffee fellowship. Uh, take time to introduce yourself to some folks, get to know one another. And then at 10.30, I do a, a brief kind of question and answer. Uh, interactive thing. Folks will ask deeper questions, further questions, follow up from the sermon, uh, any of that sort of stuff. A much more spontaneous interactive time at 1030 in classroom number one. A couple of things to announce that we have slides with. First of all, our children's ministry, we have opportunity for helpers. We've got a good crew of leaders who are teaching and doing the preparation, but we've had such a strong response both Wednesday night and Sunday morning at all three uh, times that the opportunity for you to maybe take one Sunday morning a month and rotate in, work with our leaders, help them. You know, sometimes you don't want those kids to organize an attack, so you just got to build the team a little. You know how that goes? So we've got great opportunity. I'm very thankful for the response we've had um, with children's ministry this fall and opportunity for you to be a part of that. Becky or uh, Janet will be key contacts. Also coming up, I'll continue to just ask you to plant this. On Sunday, November 13, our worship service will gather for preaching and prayer and for congregational song, but a key part of that is also going to be music with choir and orchestra of J.S. Bach. Um, the Holland Bach Society wants to take the music of Bach written originally for the worship of a local church and place it back in that setting. So that's going to be very new for me. I'm looking forward to expanding um, my experience, and together we can be a part of that. Very thankful for the opportunity. Um, connect card, if you will dial the word or text the word connect to that number, uh, you'll have a link that lets you make contact with us and uh, get you on our Thursday evening mailing address or just whatever works best for you. Um, Let's press on. I continue to be thankful for the heritage that we have that brings us to faithfulness in this moment. Uh, the three questions that I'm working with in our Heidelberg Catechism begin with question number 88. Uh, let me begin with a question and then you respond with an answer. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to the new self. What is this dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. And so what is the rising to life of the new self? Wholeheartedly joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. At this point, I want to take a moment. I'm going to ask Joe Nowicki to join me here. Uh, Joe was approved and elected as uh, council treasurer. And so we're going to take a moment to ordain and install 
it's an elder position that he serves in. As folks are stepping into leadership like this, I always like to read a particular scripture. Just join me right uh, here and we'll be together. In Numbers 11, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down, the Lord says. You see that important step. The Lord comes down and I'll speak with you there and I'll take some of the power of the spirit that's on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. This is the founding of what the Reformed people came to see as church government. The God who raises up leaders shares leadership. The people recognize that. We do that by vote, but you heard that these are recognized leaders. They're empowered by the Spirit. Joe brings a particular skill to do the treasury work, but his anointing is through the work of the Spirit, and there's always a shared leadership. The, the theological term for that is a parity of elders. I'm not the boss, and they work for me. Together, as elders, there's a shared authority and accountability. This is so that the office of elder is not to lord it over you. It's not like a monarchy, nor are we to speak for you in church business. It really isn't like a, a purely representative thing. It's the gathering of elders to seek the mind of Christ for Heart Awake. Joe and his wife, Tammy, have been a part of the body here for a number of years. They've got three grown and married children, two here in West Michigan. So you get to see them from time to time. Um, Joe was also involved, I recalled, in the Honduras short-term uh, mission. So again, a, a key part of who we are is heart awake and celebration. Um, we send people to be part of the good news. Five key questions that we've talked about. Joe, do you believe that in the call of this congregation, God himself is calling you to this holy office? Do you? Yes, I do. And do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the word of God and the only infallible rule of faith in life? Do you? Yes, I do. Do you subscribe to the doctrinal standards of the church, the Belgic Confession, Canons of Dort, Heidelberg Catechism, and rejecting all teaching which correct, contradicts them? Do you? Yes, I do. Do you promise to do the work of your office faithfully in a way worthy of your calling and in submission to the government and discipline of the church? Do you? Yes, I do. Let's take a moment as a congregation and pray for Joe and our leadership generally. Father, we thank you that you call people into service, and those that you call, you also empower. Thank you that his calling is not so much to um, do anything other than hear your voice and share that with your people. So we pray for him in that regard. Thank you for his heart, his service, the way you've prepared him. Be with he and Tammy. Um, in this moment, we give you thanks and we pray for those who serve that we might know Jesus more clearly. We give you praise and thanks. Be grace for Joe in this role and in this service. We pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people sit together. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can have an opportunity to perhaps speak with them at the service over coffee, just wherever it works. Thank you. Grace to you. Thank you. Um, Hymn number 863, Take My Life and Let It Be. A good one to sing as we think about the call that God has for all of us. Let's stand and sing to his glory.
Amen. And be seated if you would. Let's turn now to the time of corporate prayer. We'll end with the Lord's Prayer. I'm anxious to have our kids as a part of that, and then we'll follow the prayer time with our children's message in that time. Let's turn to the Father and pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the beauty of this earth. We see it in a marvelous way this day. May it remind us not simply of how wonderful this life is, but how much more glorious the new heaven and new earth will be. Help us to be faithful here where you've placed us because we live with the hope of fullness that you have given us in Christ. Lead us and guide us as your people, Father, just as you did Israel through the desert, through their ups and downs, their confusion, their clarity, their obedience, their disobedience. So work in us that you would be glorified. We pray for Heart Awake Ministries. We lift up this expression of your kingdom and body right here in Holland. We pray for leadership and guidance, even as across all three communities uh, we serve this day. We pray for Corey Pluckmeyer, who will be preaching in Watershed as Pastor Aaron returns from Ireland. And for Pastor JB and the community right across the hall, Fusion, as they worship and seek to give you glory. We pray, too, for Pastor Florencio, who'll stand right where I am with Mission in just a few hours and declare your glories in the Spanish language. Thank you that your kingdom is big and moving forward because you are gracious and merciful. Father, you've called us to be a part of this body celebration. You've given us a particular mission and a particular calling within the family of Hardwick. So make us faithful here to serve and to pray. And in this moment to pray for one another. Our prayer list is long. It's been a challenging season. I'm thankful that as I pray, I'm just going to give you as we've been doing the past few weeks space and you pray for the circle in your relationship with these particular needs. Three things. First, we pray for those who are sick, Father, whose bodies... Uh, begin to, to fail or break. We pray for sickness, physical, emotional, spiritual. Thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Thank you for the good work of doctors like Luke and nurses throughout the generations who've served as an extension of your grace. I encourage you now, pray for those in your circle of relationships who have physical, uh, emotional uh, needs in their mind and body. Pray for folks now. Father, even as we lift up those names, even as in our mind's eye we see the faces of those who need your touch, we pray for uh, people and for families who have experienced loss. We pray that you would be comfort in the midst of their grief. Uh, continue to be with them in the journey to the new life and the new season that you will be with them in. Thank you that you've called us to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice, that in all aspects of life, we share this together in you. But we pray now for those who are grieving in the midst of loss. Thirdly, Father, I pray that you would be a voice of discernment in the midst of a time of confusion, that you'd 
let us hear your words of peace and share those words of peace, that you'd let us hear your words of joy and that you'd use us to bring joy to the lives of others. In the midst of confusion and contradiction, help us to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Pray for discernment now in the circumstances of your life. Father, your word teaches us in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, to pray for those in authority over us, that there might be a just and stable government. Uh, in our regular rotation, we pray now for local government and agencies. So we pray for Holland City, various council and boards. We pray for Park and Holland Townships, Ottawa County. In particular, Father, we pray for the variety of school boards, public, private, charter schools. And we remember the passing on of knowledge and of faith and of citizenship even um, in all these various aspects. We pray for the rule of law to flourish and to be a blessing and benefit to all people. Bring order and peace that uh, this community might flourish in a spirit of generosity and hope. Father, we thank you for the safe return of our Ireland team that we could in this way stand with Luke and Kelsey uh, there in Grey Stones outside of Dublin. Continue to lead us in that relationship and make us faithful um, instruments of your gospel, not only near but also far to the ends of the earth. Praying with uh, Scotty Smith this week from Titus chapter 4, verse 3, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Lord Jesus, not just during your incarnation, but every day now in every place, you continue to appear, to be present, to be engaged and at work. Whether it's an encounter out of the blue or an encounter from within dark clouds, whether it lands in our life with a whisper, a bang, or a song. Thank you that you will never leave or forsake us. Sometimes it's through a friend, always connected to your written word, often by some unexpected providence. You love us with a tenacious tenderness and with a wisdom that comes from seeing eternity. Give us peace in you. Make us instruments of peace where you would place us. Father, do that even as we uh, commune with you in prayer day by day and in this moment together with one voice, lifting up our prayer just as Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, good. We are working through uh, the story, which is a rendition of the scriptures. We're in chapter 5, and I'm going to ask any of the kids who can join me here at the front. We've got a particular video that kind of catches all, us, all, all of us up on the big picture. Okay. Looks like Janet's going to be. Okay, Leo. There you go, man. He gets more special attention than you could ever imagine. 
his brothers are saying, you bet. One of the things I've really appreciated about this shared experience that we have um, with this video is it catches us up on the broad reading from the chapter, even as I'll then focus in. So let's watch and see. The Israelites set out on a long desert journey back to their homeland. God guided them with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. As the Israelites set up camp at the base of Mount Sinai, a dark cloud covered the mountaintop. Thunder boomed and lightning filled the sky. Terrified, the people backed away from the mountain. But Moses climbed up into the dark cloud. The ground began to shake and God spoke to Moses from a blazing fire on the mountaintop. Here is how my people should live. Don't worship anything but me. Don't misuse or disrespect my name. Set aside a day each week to rest and worship me. Honor your parents. Don't murder, steal, or lie. Live purely and faithfully. Don't lust after someone else's spouse or their possessions. When Moses told the people these commands, they said, we'll do everything God said. On the mountaintop, God gave him stone tablets detailing the laws and commands inscribed by God's own finger. When Moses returned to their camp, he found the Israelites in a wild party, worshiping a golden idol they made. People said, we want to follow a God that we can see. Burning with anger, Moses threw the tablets, breaking them into pieces. Then he ground their idol into powder, mixed it with water, and made them drink it. Moses begged God to forgive his people. God said to him, I'm full of compassion and love and slow to get angry. If my people obey my commands, then I'll show my power through them. After giving Moses a new set of tablets, God said, build a special place for me to live among the people I love. So Moses gathered the very best craftsmen and built a sacred tent called a tabernacle in the center of their camp. When God was present inside the tent, a cloud appeared above it during the day and a pillar of fire at night. When the cloud moved, the people followed and continued their long journey back to their homeland. Wow, what a story, fire and lightning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in the midst of uh, all things, you are present to lead and to guide. Thank you for the way you have worked in your people, Israel, these centuries ago, to now help us see Christ ever so clearly. Be with our kids and our leaders. I guide our footsteps as we walk with you this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All righty, y'all can head off. And we will press on here. We are in this season, a second of the mini-series within our 31 chapters, a rescue 
that really focuses in on God making himself known in a new way to Israel and leading them out of Egypt, the first thing that happens afterwards is the giving of the law. Now, my title for this morning, let me uh, press on to that. Uh, as This is what we're reading through the week. These are the chapters um, that I will summarize by focusing on one. And what I want to do is really something that's kind of grown out of 30 years of prayer, study, and thinking. It's how the gospel of God's grace brought the beauty of God's law into focus for me. I look back and realize that often I would look at the law through a, a cloudy lens that was out of focus. And what I hope to do today is share with you uh, the fruit of many, many years in a quick overpass. I won't spend a whole number of years. But to see how the law of God, rightly understood in light of the gospel of God's grace, brings hope and joy and beauty. So listen to the word of God, beginning in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents, even to the third or fourth generation of those who hate me. But I will show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep these commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh, that is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, because of all that, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God that he's giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness or false testimony against your neighbor. Finally, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Years later, this meditation on the law. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you spoke to the people you had granted righteousness to through faith. You had rescued them from slavery. And now as your deeply loved, fully adopted children, the nation Israel, you want to show them the character of the work you would do in them. Help us to see the law as Jesus intended it. May it shape our hearts. Thank you that as you spoke on Mount Sinai, so through all the events that would transpire, now we open this book to meet you once again. Holy Spirit, complete your work. 
Thank you that in the marvel of your grace, you will make yourself known in deep and powerful ways this day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to start today with a thought experiment. I want you to imagine raising a nine-year-old boy who is just beginning to play and to love baseball. If you told that boy, God does not want you playing baseball on Sunday, have you taught him about the meaning of the fourth commandment? If you were to say, God will love you more if you don't play baseball on Sunday, have you taught him about the fourth commandment? Kind of scared to jump out there, huh? Let me suggest to you that the answer to that question is no. I've spent about 30 years struggling through this and learning and growing, spent a week trying to put together a good response. What would it mean to teach a nine-year-old boy beginning to play and love baseball what it means to keep the Sabbath day holy? Now, I'll be honest, none of us got 30 years of study and preparation and then a week to figure out what to say as a parent. Parenting is done in real time, and it can be hard. But listen to what it seemed to me might be the better answer. Your love for baseball is an early expression of God's good plan for your life. He has given you energy and strength and determination and friends that bring you and him great joy when playing baseball. But know this, God has a marvelous purpose for all this that will expand into your future whenever he leads you. See why my kids always thought they were getting sermons? Our family worships, prays, and learns about God together each week on Sunday so that we can grow to better know the Lord and be part of his plans and purpose for our life. I want to suggest to you that knowing and understanding and sharing and teaching and living in light of the law is a good thing and it brings joy and fruit. To, to do this, I want to run you through a quick organizing overview as I began to see the whole scripture intention of the law, I began to see it in a new way and I hope to share that in, with you in a way that you can capture. The first is that the law is all about the Lord making himself known. The law is not here instructions on how to behave. I'm in heaven or just an idea, go do this. That's not the way the law was set up. Even less is the law, and by the law, we're talking Exodus and the Ten Commandments, those parts that you always love in your yearly Bible reading, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We're all in, friends. Even less is all of that just ancient people thinking about behavior and, and saying, well, this is what the idea of God wants us to do. No. The law, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all of it is God making himself known to his people in that day and time. If you don't have a God who is real and who makes himself known, you'll never understand the law. You'll always miss it. 
miss that first step, and everything that follows will be uh, out of kilter. What God is saying in the law is because I am who I am, when by grace I make you mine, here is what my indwelling life will look like in your life and situation. It's about God making himself known. And he does it in very specific and concrete ways. He makes himself known in two tablets. You heard that. Originally, the finger of God on two different tablets of stone. Amazing. These two tablets speak to us of what God-centered life will look like. In Deuteronomy 6, we read, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then in Leviticus, don't skip it, Leviticus 19, 18, we read, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love neighbor. Sound familiar? We'll come back to that. The Lord makes himself known on two tablets, love God and love neighbor. And then it's best, I think, to see that organization, the Ten Commandments, distributed across those two tablets. God making himself known, two pegs on which the law hangs, two tablets on which the Ten Commandments are transcribed. But from there, all the law and the prophets hangs or is organized. I said we would come to this. You see the Ten Commandments across those two tablets. You hear this term, all the law and the prophets from Jesus. Two key scriptures to look at here, friends. Is this where this comes up? In Luke 10, verse 25, an expert in the law comes up to test Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit the uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus makes these statements to him, love God and love neighbor. Later, and I may have this backwards, but in Matthew 22, 37, an expert of the law comes to test Jesus. And the expert in the law then says, the commandments are love God and love neighbor. What was fascinating to me was that the expert in the law saw this and Jesus saw that. So if you were to go back to Jerusalem, when Jesus was ministering, Jesus had a view of the law in its organization that was identical to the Pharisees. Love God and love neighbor. Two tablets with the Ten Commandments. God revealing himself. What makes the difference? See, the expert in the law would try to test Jesus and ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? Following that conversation, Jesus gives him the parable of the good Samaritan. That's what it looks like. It works its way out. But so far, they agree it's a fascinating thing. All the law and the prophets hang on those two things. Now, what I'd like to do to kind of dig into that a little deeper, let's touch that again. God makes himself known, two tablets. Love God, love neighbor, the Ten Commandments, five and five, and then all the law and the prophets. Let's play this out with a particular example. I want to take the Eighth Commandment. 
Now, I could follow this same pattern with any of the Ten Commandments, and indeed all of the Ten Commandments. And let me also give credit here. The person who best laid this out in my experience, John Calvin. His Harmony of the Law works this out. It's in his Bible commentaries. God making himself known, two tablets, love God, love neighbor, the Ten Commandments, everything in Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And in case you want to follow this further, I, I checked on this. Amazon has a sale on his Harmony of the Law. If you'll get it in Kindle format for $12, you can get his Harmony of the Law. It only covers four volumes and 1,589 pages. My goal is to summarize that in a way that you can picture in about five minutes. It begins this way. Remember, the law is about God making himself known. And if you look through the Old Testament, you will see that God is, and this is my term, a creative producer. The Bible begins, God said there was nothing. God acted in his word and there was now something. God produces, he's creative. Where there was nothing, he creates something. Where things are broken, he brings redemption. God is creative and producer, and we see he is also generous. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He's sovereign, he's creative, he's producer. Now, the creative producer gave us the two tablets, love your neighbor. And under love your neighbor is the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. God makes himself known. He's creative. He produces. He says, love your neighbor. And now he says, thou shalt not steal. You can see how stealing would be about taking something that someone else had produced. Don't do it. But there's more, and it begins to get clearer and clearer as you look through Numbers, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. The one I put in your sermon outline, and if you'll open your bulletin real briefly, you're going to see an outline of what I'm doing, but you'll also see a graphic that starts the Lord, two tablets, ten commandments, and then shows briefly lots of passages from Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Exodus, hanging below those. That's the picture I want you to end up with and see how these things pull together. So God, the creative producer, says, love your neighbor. That works its way out into thou shalt not steal. Now, let me just read to you some random passages that often your eyes glaze over on. But see how they come into new focus. Leviticus 19, 35 through 36. I'm guessing if you buy those Bible memory packs, this won't be in there. But begin to think of it in these terms that I've laid out for you there. The Lord says, do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, width, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights. An honest measure of a pound, an honest measure of an ounce. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now, in the days when you'd measure things out with a scale before it was prepackaged, 
If you used one kind of weight for your friend and another kind of weight for someone else, they would get different things. What you see is that's about stealing, not giving in exchange an honest thing. And because the Lord brought you out of Egypt, because God is who he is, that's where this one hangs. Exodus 22, 26 through 27. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, that is to say collateral or a guarantee, return it by sunset because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in when they cry out to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. See, if someone gives you their cloak, their blanket for sleeping at night, make sure they get it before sunset. Why? Because that keeps them warm and safe. Don't keep for yourself what they need. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry out to the Lord, to me, against you. I am who I am, a creative producer. I call you to love your neighbor. That means don't steal but it works its way out. Make sure the people who work for you are paid in a timely fashion. Have you ever been in business and somebody says, you build me 30 days net, but I'm gonna take 60. What is that? You'd see it as a violation of the character of God who says, do not steal. Leviticus 25, 35. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them. Oh, well, do they deserve it? That's not the question. If the Lord is who he is, then love your neighbor, don't steal, and if anyone has a business reversal, finds themselves poor, help them. You see, because God, as creative producer, is generous, what will his people be? Protective of all they've learned to earn. It doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way then. Verse 36, do not take interest or any profit from them. There goes the whole banking industry, right? No worry about mortgage rates. Now, you're also not going to be able to build a million-dollar house. Think of how different this is, but it's all rooted in this big picture of the law and God revealing himself. Deuteronomy 19.14, do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land the Lord your God gave you to possess. I gave you the land, don't illegally, don't mess with the boundary markers. Don't take what I gave to other people. Leviticus 23, 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you, for I am the Lord your God, because I am who I am, 
In this second table, love your neighbor, do not steal. He goes on to say and to develop, don't be a perfectly efficient farmer. Leave some so that the poor can work as well and gather and feed themselves. It shows up in other books of the Bible, here in Proverbs. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. He will reward them for what they have done. Lends to the poor without interest, no less. Lends to the Lord. Someone would later come and say, in that you did this to the least of these, you did it for me, said Jesus. Psalm 37, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. One of the things that really impressed me as I was learning more about Dave Ramsey's approach to finances, he got going as a hotshot real estate developer, went bankrupt, began to reevaluate his life in light of the scripture, eventually began to restructure his life, but one of the first things he did was pay back bankruptcy. What is bankruptcy but a legal way to not pay? Now, things happen, and we provide for that as a culture and as a community. But God save us from ever using bankruptcy as a business model or business plan. There's something different going on here. I want to tell you, the next step I would look at, that's how the Scripture structures this. The Lord makes himself known. Two tablets, love God, love neighbor, under love neighbor, there is thou shalt not steal. But one of the things you see is that this not stealing is not simply about what you don't do, it's also what you do in fact do. You don't charge interest. You do give generously. You do pay back your loans even when it's hard. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism, and I can do this among us. I mean, this has been a shaping document helps us understand the scripture. One of the things that the Heidelberg Catechism does is take each of the 10 commandments and exposit it, build on it. Listen to what it says about the eighth commandment. It starts with a question. What does God forbid in the eighth commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery punishable by law, but in God's sight, Theft also includes all scheming and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or by means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, you heard that, size or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts, pointless squandering of his gifts. Question 82. You've heard what's prohibited. Now, what does God require of you in his commandment? That is to say, you've heard the, what's prohibited, what's affirmed? The answer, that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully. Listen to this that I work faithfully so that I might share with those in need. It doesn't say work faithfully so that I might accumulate more and more. 
What if the blessing on your work was God's means to care for others? Suddenly, it looks different. Some quick conclusions. I could make a number. One, you'll see when you look at the law this way, it's always about the heart. But I share that with you week by week because that's so important. The behaviors are always expression of what's happening here. If I can't get my behavior to line up with God's word, then by his grace, I'm called to ask, what's going on in my heart? What would the gospel want to transform? Do you hear how that's beginning to work? Well, conclusions, there's always a prohibition and an affirmation. I should not do this, but I should do that. That where God is at work, it prevents, but it also produces. And that's why I want to point out from here on that it's always about the Lord's initiative. The law is beautiful when it's an expression of God at work in us as his people. Let's step back and think broadly. It was in Genesis 15, 6, we see that grace made Abram righteous before God, right? And that becomes a theme. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6, that God in his grace reaches out to us, we in faith respond, that's how we have a right relationship with him. The way to be made right with God has nothing to do with your behavior and everything to do with your faith responding to his grace. And his grace has been shown to us in the cross. What do you say about the cross? That's where it starts. The next step, we see that God rescues us. He takes us out of slavery. That's the whole book of Exodus. And now, because God has made us right, because he's rescued us, he now is at work to restore us. And that's what the law is like. The law is God at work to restore us to the fullness of what he has for us. You can't begin at the ending. You've got to start. The grace that makes us right, the grace that rescues us, then you can see it's the grace that will restore in us. That's why I now see the law as God's opportunity to convict me. The Holy Spirit can teach me through the law where I fall short. Not so that my being right with God stands or falls, or my being rescued from my brokenness stands or falls, but because God wants to set me free to live a restored life. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the, Paul would go on to say that the law was a guardian. I like the word coach. So the law was a coach until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. It's by faith that we are justified that never changes. But the value of the law is that it points us towards what God wants to do in us. And then we need his grace to do that. I want to close with a story about, it actually became a story about two men that have been fascinating. One of the most fascinating people I've ever had the pleasure to meet and to work with was a fellow named Millard Fuller. He was born in 1935 in beautiful Lynette, Alabama. He's a Southern fellow. 
He got a degree from Auburn University in 1957. I was just two at the time. (laughs) He married his wife, Linda, in 59. He graduated with a law degree from the University of Alabama in 1959. Five years later, by 1964, a marketing firm that he had started with a friend to help pay for college had grown so much it made him a millionaire at the age of 29 years. Wow, this guy could do it. By this time, 29 years old, he's a serial entrepreneur having launched a number of thriving businesses. Everything he touched developed. But while that was happening, there was something else happening as well. As his businesses prospered, his health, his integrity, and most of all, his marriage suffered. There was a cost. These crises, and I'll just summarize, they came together and prompted Fuller to reevaluate his values and direction. He took some steps. He renewed his marriage with his wife, Linda. He made a commitment to Christ as Lord of his life. And then together, they took a drastic step. They decided to sell everything they owned and give the money to the poor and begin searching for a new focus for their life. If Jesus is Lord, what does he want of us? This search led them to Koinonia Farm, a Christian community located near America's Georgia, led by a man who's a story all his own, Clarence Jordan. Clarence was born in 1912 in Talbot, Georgia. I've never seen that on the highway side, all the times I've been in Georgia. He earned an agricultural degree from the University of Georgia and then a PhD in New Testament Greek. He earned that from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. In 1942, he moved his family to America's Georgia, bought a 440-acre tract of land, and planted a church. Essentially, it was an interracial Christian farming community that they named Koinonia Farm taken the Greek word from Acts 2.42, meaning fellowship or communion. In 1965, the Fuller family stopped to visit friends at Koinonia Farm on a road trip from New York City after spending several hours with Clarence, the farmer with a PhD in New Testament Greek. Millard and Linda decided to stay with their children and begin a relationship with Jordan and ultimately lead a future beyond their wildest imaginations. This is the story of how Habitat for Humanity got started. A serial entrepreneur who gave it all up, a farmer who dug into the New Testament. And as Clarence began to teach and disciple, Millard, as they began to see their community, they began to weep for the housing of the poor. Millard's entrepreneurial gift began to to gather things and build houses. And you know the story of um, Habitat for Humanity. I first got involved in 1980 in our community in Louisiana. And we would find properties and find a a family through a church. And they would invest as we rebuilt that house with sweat equity. Do you remember the statement in Leviticus? Leave some so the poor can glean. They need to be a part. So they would invest sweat equity. And when the house was done and the 
title transferred. They had a no-interest mortgage. Do you remember what the law said about no interest? They would pay it back, but with no profit. The money would go into a fund that we had that would fund the next work. And the house was built by community investment, by volunteers. Years later, my dad, at that point in his career, an executive, would be a part in his Fortune 500 company where they would gather workers and they'd build a Habitat house in 24 hours. My dad loved painting for the poor at 11 p.m. Friends, I want to tell you something. When you see the law, as God revealing himself and what it would look like in the life of Israel. The point is not to take all of that and make a checklist. I, I don't know Millard. I never met Clarence. I don't know, but I can guarantee you none of them sat down with Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, came up with a checklist and said, let's make a company like that. But they did get to know the God who revealed himself. And as never before in preparing this sermon, what God led them to build was very, very consistent. They saw the lawgiver of grace and lived it out in their time. It's amazing. There's a story about a um, British, he was actually Scottish Olympic athlete, Eric Liddell. And he decided to put off missionary work to run in the Olympics, but then in the Olympics, his event was on a Sunday. He decided to stick with the Sabbath. Eric Liddell has this phrase. You can see it in the movie. It's stirring. He says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I want to tell you something about, I saw it in my dad. I saw it in Millard. When I build houses for the poor, I feel God's pleasure. I see it in people as they teach children. I see it in people as they cross the street to their neighbor to bring food and encouragement in a hard time. I hope you sense it often moves me from the pulpit. When I teach you of Jesus and the gospel, I feel his pleasure. That's what it means to live according to the God who's made himself known in these books. I invite you not to put together a checklist and try to behave it, but I invite you to know and live by the power and to the glory of the one who gave all of that. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for your marvelous love, and we thank you that you have first loved us by grace, and in that we love you, and then you rescued us out of the compulsions and brokenness of life on our own. And by your grace, like a coach, you want to lead us into fruitful, joyous, and happy lives. Thank you that even that you've made clear, and we can begin to see that as we meditate on your law. Because the law is not our way to please you or to earn Jesus' books. It's the way to recognize where you are at work in us to your glory and to the benefit of our neighbor. Give us great hope in that and fill us with marvelous joy. We give you thanks and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people sit together. Amen and amen.
Hymn number 770, again, uh, the focus of how to understand the law, it really is about Christ and Christ alone. Let's stand and sing hymn number 770. living God who is at work by his grace in his people does amazing things. And maybe you're encouraged to join up with Habitat, or maybe you're encouraged to work with our children's ministry, or maybe there's something new. Imagine when we know who God is, we can see what he does and be a part of that. Extraordinary. And now, friends, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word, deed and word. Amen? Amen. Amen.